Hi, this is Paul Spellman. This is my podcast. I have a story about that. This is episode six. I'd like to welcome everyone back. I uh, hope you've been enjoying my stories along the way. Uh, this episode I call the Santa Fe Expedition. We're going to reach back to the year 1841 and see a little bit of what's going on, particularly in the Republic of Texas, as Texas is midway through its years as an independent nation. So to get started, we're going to take a little uh, background here and see what's going on around that period of time um, in the United States and in Mexico. And then uh, we're going to take a look what's happening uh, in the Republic of Texas in 1841 and a very infamous expedition of Texans off to Santa Fe uh, in Mexico. So in 1840, up in the United States, let's see what's going on up there. We've had a very interesting election, presidential election. Um, Martin Van Buren has just uh, been defeated in his bid for re-election as president of the United States, pretty much ending the Jacksonian era, which had uh, lasted essentially since the mid-1820s. The Whig Party, built as an anti-Jackson political faction, uh, elects its first president, William Henry Harrison, an old veteran from the War of 1812, old Tippy Canoe, uh, they called him back in those days. And William Henry Harrison has been elected president in November of 1840. Uh, in March of 1841, uh, giving a very long um, inaugural address uh, outdoors in a um, drizzly cool rain in Washington, D.C. President William Henry Harrison contracts a cold which turns to pneumonia and 30 days into his presidency he has died. The first American president to die in office under most ignominious circumstances to say the least. His vice president John Tyler now assumes the role of president and soon takes the oath of office as president of the United States to finish out Harrison's term. So there's some um, strange things going on politically uh, in the United States during this period of time. But there's also a sense of a new theme, a new kind of vision that is beginning to emanate across the United States. And it is a vision of the West and moving farther across the North American continent. By 1844, that will be in full force with the movement we call Manifest Destiny. So meanwhile, back in, uh, in Mexico during this period of time, um, the Generalissimo of the Mexican army during the Texas Revolution, Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, who had uh, signed the Treaty of Velasco in 1836, recognizing Texas independence, but that treaty had never been ratified by his Mexican Congress. Santa Ana had been exiled, but had uh, then returned to Mexico and under more favorable circumstances is now returning to power in 1841. So we have some interesting political machinations going on in Mexico uh, as well. And in between is the young, nascent nation, the Republic of Texas, which had begun its new journey in the fall of 1836, 
following its victorious uh, revolution to achieve independence from Mexico, even though, as I said, Mexico hasn't formally recognized Texas independence yet, thus also keeping Texas from uh, becoming annexed by the United States as a state because, again, the uncertainty of diplomatic relations and who belongs to whom has caused a, a situation where most Texans wanting to become part of the United States must now patiently wait until other circumstances uh, should unfold. In the meanwhile, we've now um, gone through the administration of President Sam Houston, and then late in 1838, Mirabeau B. Lamar has been elected as the second president of the Republic of Texas. And in 1841 then, under the Constitution of the Republic of Texas, which allowed for one term at a time, three-year terms for presidents. Lamar is now beginning his third year and the last year of his term. Lamar also is bitten by the expansionist bug that will uh, soon be a part of the United States history, and he is looking west as well. One of the fascinating things about Lamar's presidency, of course, quite different from the others, is that he truly believes that uh, Texas does have a future as an independent nation, whereas many Texans believe that annexation to the United States is ultimately their goal. Lamar disagrees. Lamar believes that Texas can play a major role and have impact in North America with this one condition, that the Republic of Texas be expanding out into the West during these years and that ultimately, under some set of conditions, might find itself as a nation spread from the Gulf of Mexico to the Pacific Ocean. It is a large vision, maybe larger than reality, but Lamar has pushed it for his two years plus now as the president of Texas. And one way of uh, getting um, about doing that very thing, and the expansionist past the hill country and out into uh, the west and the frontier, is to um, include uh, the Mexican trading outpost of Santa Fe in his future plans. So in 1840, President Lamar of the Republic of Texas has sent an emissary to Santa Fe, hoping, believing that the people of Santa Fe might prefer to be a part of a bustling, growing, energized Texas rather than be a far-flung outpost of Mexico, often ignored and neglected. And so an emissary has traveled a long, circuitous route to get to Santa Fe, literally going to the United States, up the Mississippi, across what becomes known as the Santa Fe Trail, which extends through Kansas, and finally a territory, and then finally into Santa Fe. When the emissary arrives uh, in uh, Santa Fe, he is told fairly clearly that the people of Santa Fe are not interested in Lamar's expansionist plan that would include them although they do feel uh, sometimes abandoned because of the distance to Mexico City, still, they're loyal to Mexico, they're loyal to the government of Mexico, and have no interest in 
putting themselves in any kind of situation where that would be uh, threatened. The emissary then returns to Austin, the capital of Texas, and informs President Lamar that in fact the people of Santa Fe are overjoyed with the possibility of joining Texas. The emissary, believing that Lamar wants to hear what he wants to hear, has simply fabricated that response and said, yes, in fact, uh, the people of Santa Fe are leaning towards uh, becoming a part of the Republic of Texas. With that incorrect information, Lamar, of course, now is excited to take the next step, which would be to send an expedition out there of goodwill and commerce. This expedition would not only bring uh, a lot of materials and, and so on uh, from Texas as a show of respect and of the future in terms of trade and so on, but also would be a good indicator of exactly uh, what it would uh, be like to have Santa Fe as a part of the Republic of Texas uh, and so on. He goes to Congress, Lamar, uh, to the Texas Congress to, uh, to tell them the news and they are less than interested in this possibility. And Lamar uh, has some trouble uh, getting uh, much response from Congress. He tries to pass a bill through there that would allow for uh, such an expedition and for the ultimate inclusion of uh, Santa Fe and the surrounding area, what you and I today know of as New Mexico and parts of Arizona. But again, Congress defers um, uh, on that bill. But now in his last year as president of Texas, Lamar simply takes things into his own hands. And he builds an expedition on his own to send it to Santa Fe, regardless of whether Congress is going to confirm and support or subsidize it. And of course, based on very bad information from his emissary's report. The Texan Santa Fe expedition, as it's known in the history books, will embark in June of 1841 on a very uh, ill-conceived, poorly planned, undermanaged um, expedition that really has no chance of success even in the best of circumstances. Partly because even though they might actually make it to Santa Fe in good order, they will then find that the people of Santa Fe aren't interested after all in, uh, in the offer. Come way back before we get to there because for starters we've got to put this expedition together and we've got to get it on its way. It was originally planned to leave sometime April or early May of 1841. The expectation was that the trip would take somewhere between eight and ten weeks. This would put the people on the expedition in the area of Santa Fe sometime uh, in early July. Part of the problem with that um, plan, uh, again, almost everything about this plan uh, is wrong from the beginning and then, well, just gets worse. Part of the problem is that there is a, uh, there's no real understanding of the geography nor of the appropriate distances between Austin, where the expedition will begin, and Santa Fe itself. There are no maps in hand 
by any members or leaders of the expedition. There are no scouts or guides appropriated for this expedition. This expedition is essentially going blind out into the American uh, frontier. Their belief at the time was that it was about 200 mile trip from Austin north to the Red River. Once they got to the Red River, which flows west to east and into the Mississippi, they would simply uh, then just turn left, turn west on the banks of the Red River. That would take them out into the general vicinity of Santa Fe, where they would certainly find Mexican villages and farms who would give them the final directions on into uh, Santa Fe. And again, the belief was that from that juncture at the Red River, it was some 200 miles west to Santa Fe. Well, they couldn't have been off <laughs> much more than they believed they were. Uh, for starters, it's uh, uh, at least 250 miles uh, to the Red River, and then it's another 400 miles to Santa Fe. So they were off by about half in their uh, understanding. So in the best of circumstances, uh, had they made this trip successfully in the first place, uh, it would have been taken at least twice as long, which would have put them moving across the western part of Texas in July and August, uh, the, the hottest of months uh, in the south and southwest. They're going to end up doing that anyway, but in the worst of circumstances. So the expedition is now going to gather actually uh, just uh, north of Austin, um, today, it's where the city of Round Rock uh, sits. If you go to Round Rock, uh, Highway 35 from um, uh, Austin, uh, and then uh, you turn on 79 to go east a little ways, uh, there's a, a baseball park there, uh, Dell Stadium, which is a minor league uh, professional baseball park. And right there, literally, um, across the street are a series of historical markers indicating this is where the Santa Fe Expedition made its first camp, where all of the commissioners gathered the Teamsters in their wagons uh, loaded with uh, materials, and the security force uh, that would protect them along the way to Santa Fe. The total number in this expedition uh, in May of 1841 was 320. That included 270 um, armed guards, if you will, uh, and about 50 of the commissioners, the teamsters, um, merchants, uh, observers, and others uh, as a part of the overall expedition. The commander of the expedition was a man named Hugh McLeod. Hugh McLeod, uh, born in New York City, raised in Georgia, came to Texas just in time to be in on the last couple of months of the Texas Revolution in the spring of 1836. Uh, he then uh, served uh, in the Republic of Texas. He was uh, related by marriage to President Lamar. Uh, he was quite uh, heroic in a series of battles against uh, Texas Indians in 1839 and 1840. He was the first adjutant general uh, of Texas. Uh, he was a graduate of West Point and seemed a logical choice then to command such an expedition. Once again, however, uh, what looked good on paper uh, turned out uh, to not be a very good decision. 
if someone had bothered to look into his resume just a little bit, they also would have noticed that Lamar, uh, uh, that McLeod finished uh, last in his class uh, at West Point. And uh, his leadership skills uh, would be somewhat under question uh, almost from the beginning. In fact, there was a delay of almost a month for the expedition to get started simply because McLeod was ill. Uh, that illness uh, likely um, exacerbated by uh, too much uh, whiskey uh, along the way. At any rate, when McLeod finally shows up late in May and gets things more or less organized, the expedition is ready to launch out in the first week of June, uh, 1841. Again, they had no scouts and no guides. None of the individuals in the expedition had ever been on any of this route before. And so for them, it was simply a, a guess, what they thought was an educated guess. Go north until you get to the red banks of the Red River, which you would clearly recognize. Turn west and go until you're out into the edge of the mountains and look for signs to Santa Fe. And so off they went. Well, uh, it, it was just a, you know, the first week or so was fine. They, they, they marched up due north out of Austin. Um, there was plenty of wildlife and food to be had. There was plenty of fresh water along the way. It was very hot, but they were um, prepared for that to a certain point. There didn't seem to be any real difficulties one way or another for the first about 175 miles or so. They then uh, entered some dense, dense, thick brush, thicket, uh, forested areas, uh, which took them um, a couple of uh, weeks to get through and fight their way through. They have 22 large, long wagons, oxen driven, uh, going through arroyos and this heavy brush. Uh, it was an absolute disaster in the making, and again, you're late June, uh, temperatures uh, in the 90s. Um, it's a very uh, bad experience, to say the least. When they finally made their way out of uh, that uh, thicket area, they came to the banks of a river with its red uh, dirt and its reddish water, brackish water. Believing that to be the Red River, they happily turned west and continued their trek. Except that it wasn't the Red River. It was one of the forks of the Brazos. They were miles and miles short of the Red River. If they had finally arrived at the Red River and turned left, they actually might have been actually able to work this thing out. Um, if you do follow the Red River against the flow out to the west, you would make yourself out into the area of what is today eastern New Mexico and might actually have made it to Santa Fe. If, however, you take a left at the forks of the Brazos, those rivers now flow back to the southwest from the southwest. And uh, once that's happened, um, now you've got a problem. The problem is that it takes you back down into the arid, uh, uninhabitable, practically wasteland of what we often call uh, West Texas today. And now it's July and the end of July. You have uh, men getting lost in the night, some deserting, some wandering too far away from camp. Uh, you're running out of fresh water. 
the Kiowa and then the Comanche are now going to begin attacking and raiding around this expedition. McLeod makes several really terrible decisions uh, at that point, uh, realizing finally that they are, in fact, lost, but believing that by going north and west, they would ultimately still bump into the Red River. McLeod divides his expedition into three smaller parties and sends each in a separate direction. This makes each of the groups even more vulnerable to the Kiowa and Comanche attacks. Again, you have uh, men wandering off in the night and disappearing. By the time they have uh, come back more or less together, uh, late in August of the summer of 1841, the 320-man expedition is now down to around 200. They are hungry, they are thirsty, they are disoriented, they are angry and frustrated. The leadership system has broken down. It could not hardly be any worse until they are approached uh, in what is today eastern New Mexico by the Mexican army. A contingent of Santa Ana's army, learning of this expedition, has been sent to the eastern region uh, out of Santa Fe to confront what Santa Ana believes to be an invading uh, expedition from Texas. When McLeod is met by the um, Mexican uh, troops, uh, they offer up a condition for surrender in which the Texans will be uh, treated kindly and allowed ultimately uh, to return to Texas. McLeod then orders his men to lay down their arms and without a shot being fired, what's left of the Texan Santa Fe expedition has now been captured by uh, Mexican troops. They will never get to Santa Fe. They are marched about another 50 or 60 miles to the west, uh, and then after a short uh, wait uh, in the edge of the hills there in central New Mexico, they are now going to be marched southward to Mexico City, what many of the survivors later called the journey of death now begins. This is um, arid country, mountain and desert and basin country. The men are being forced marched uh, southward. Those straggling behind are executed or left to die. Uh, dozens more will perish on the way down uh, into central Mexico. When the survivors finally make their way there, they are put either in dungeons or prisons or um, work gangs out on the uh, streets of Mexico City. Many will uh, die during this period of time as well. Uh, by this time, you're into um, early 1842. There are so many other things happening at this point, and it becomes very complex. The United States then steps in to try to intercede because Santa Ana will not listen to any plea uh, from the Texas government, which he does not officially recognize. And in 1843, and finally in 1844, the survivors of the Texan Santa Fe expedition uh, are released. Uh, but only uh, a handful uh, have managed to make that um, agonizing journey from start to finish. 
Texan Santa Fe Expedition and Hugh McLeod's reputation uh, are uh, in the history books often as what's called the ill-fated Texan Santa Fe Expedition. So that's a, a story from uh, that period of time in Texas. Now, um, the reason I, I like telling that story, um, when I uh, got my uh, PhD from the University of Houston, the dissertation I wrote was actually a biography of Hugh McLeod. And the entire middle third of that dissertation is a detailed story and narrative of the Texan Santa Fe Expedition. It was published in 1999 under the title Forgotten Texas Leader, Hugh McLeod, and the Texan Santa Fe Expedition by Texas A&M uh, Press. And it's enjoyed some, uh, some interesting play over the years since then, 20 years now since that book was published. But in the summer of 1998, as the uh, dissertation had been accepted, as A&M Press was beginning to work on editing the dissertation for uh, its book, I decided to uh, travel the route that the um, Texans had taken just to see for myself what that might be like. And really coincidentally, although, you know, it really was a coincidence, it turned out to be uh, August when I made that trip, simply because that was the time I had uh, to do it. So I got a very good feel of what it would have been like to make that trip. Start in Round Rock, you go up Highway 35 North, you make it almost to uh, Wichita Falls, not quite, where, and again, that's pretty easy trip on the highway, interstate highway, up through uh, the Fort Worth area and so on. And then you turn uh, west these days onto Highway 287. That'll take you to Childress. Uh, just after Childress, you switch over to Highway 86 West. This is beautiful rolling hill country. Very, very nice, but probably not very easy uh, traveling uh, for uh, Teamster wagons and so on back in those days. Along 86 West, you come to the delightful little town of Turkey, where close by there's actually a marker or two about the uh, Texan Santa Fe Expedition. Then to the little town of Tulia and beautiful Tool uh, Creek and Tool Canyon nearby. Then to the town of Demet. And then down into 60 West. 60 West will then take you across into New Mexico itself through Clovis, which has its own great uh, story. And um, as you're uh, taking 60 west, then uh, you finally take uh, 84 north near Fort Sumner, New Mexico, up to Highway uh, Interstate 40. Santa Rosa, you take a left and another right onto 84 north, continuing up to Anton Chico. Anton Chico is a great little town up in the hills where there's actually a building that I believe uh, was still was there 150 years ago where some of the Texans were held briefly before the journey of death and their march uh, southward. When I got to Anton Chico, one last story, um, I was pretty far from any recognizable part of civilization and realized that I was also running out of gasoline in my car. And um, I rode into Anton, drove into Anton Chico, and boy, there didn't seem to be anything paved, much less much going on there. And realizing I might be now just stranded there for however long, back in the day when there weren't cell phones and wouldn't have been service anyway, I uh, turned a corner right after that building that I believed may have housed some of the prisoners 150 years ago came down a little dusty 
road and there was a tiny little bitty store with a single gas pump in front that actually had gasoline to get me back out of Anton Chico and back on my way. It was in many ways kind of a ironic and fitting ending to my own trek along what had been a failed uh, expedition along the way. So the Texan Santa Fe expedition, uh, fascinating in its own right. Um, hope you enjoyed the story. Uh, we may come back to parts of that again because some of what was going on in Texas in 1842 and 43 makes some pretty good storytelling as well. Coming up soon, uh, the next episode. I hope you'll watch out for it. Tell your friends about it. I hope you've enjoyed this one. And until we meet again, this is Paul Spellman. I have a story about that.